0: The quote goes, don't always uh, confuse movement with progress. You know, just because you're doing a lot doesn't mean you're getting a lot done. I think Denzel Washington said it, but mm. people think just because I'm working, I'm running, I'm lifting all these weights, I'm doing it every single day. Like, you could be breaking down your body more than you're actually helping it.
1: And that's the voice of NFL player Doug Middleton, and I'm Chris Weidman, and this is Won't Back Down, presented by Bio Accelerator. Doug Middleton is a guy who's been in the NFL for a while now. He started off at App State and was undrafted into the NFL, got signed by the Jets, and then he played for the Jaguars, and now he's playing for the 49ers. Um, he really is an amazing guy. Uh, the reason why I wanted to talk to him is because um, I got introduced to him by my strength coach, Jed, who works at a Velocity in Charlotte, and uh, he told me that Doug is really a big advocate for mental health and that he would love to come on the podcast, and it really is amazing to talk to somebody who uh, is in the NFL, who has to worry about you know his, his diet and performing so well and all the stress and pressures that come with that, uh, being able to stay in the NFL as long as you can but also has the time to focus on other things like mental health. Doug Milton, he started a a foundation of his own and uh, has really been doing a lot to help bring awareness to mental health. So we get into a lot of that and why it's important. Um, all of that is coming up in a moment, but first, I want to tell you about our show's presenting sponsor, BioAccelerator. BioAccelerator is the world leader in stem cell therapy and regenerative medical research. Through the use of their powerful golden stem cells, they help patients heal from joint and orthopedic injuries, autoimmune disorders, spine and disc damage, and neurological trauma. I went down to in Colombia, and I got my stem cells, and I honestly feel so great. I want to go back down again after a year passes because that's when you get the full effect. And uh, I just wanna thank them again for sponsoring this show and uh, really appreciate it. All right, without further ado, here's my conversation with Doug Middleton, which is also available on the Chris Weidman YouTube channel. Doug, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, our our uh, mutual friend, Jed from Velocity, one of the best strength coaches I've ever had uh you know put us in touch and I really appreciated it. Um he told me that you're a big advocate for mental health, which I think is always uh something that needs to be discussed and, and you know spoke about. Um uh, so I'm excited to do that. But before we begin, if you don't mind just kind of telling me a little bit about yourself, your background and uh yeah.
0: Yeah, so I appreciate the opportunity and, and Jed is a great trainer. Been training with
1: him for a long time. So I'm glad he made the connection, but, uh, yeah, he's freaking, he's, he's, he's amazing, but it sucks when you're in there with him because he does not feel bad for you at all. He tries to kill you.
0: He <laughs> nah, yeah, doesn't feel bad. He doesn't even really speak much during the workout. A lot yeah. of guys won't know him unless you really get the, uh, you know, jail with them outside of the workout because during the workout, he's all business. I agree. I agree. Yeah. But, uh, my name is Doug Middleton. I'm from Salem, North Carolina. Uh, I moved to Charlotte. When I got into the NFL, I attended Appalachian State, uh, got my undergraduate in political science, and then went back and got my master's in public administration. I've been playing in the NFL. This is going on my seventh season. I played 2016, 17, 18 uh, with the New York Jets, and then 19 and 20 with the Dolphins and Jaguars. And then this past season finished up, um, you know, with the San Francisco 49ers. And I got into mental health uh, advocacy. After losing my best friend to suicide in 2017, and since then, I've been, you know, a huge mental health advocate, just trying to promote it, trying to get people to learn more about it,
1: uh, and also learn more about, you know, suicide and and the ways to prevent it. That's awesome. Um, Well, not awesome that you're, one of your best friends committed suicide. I'm sorry about that, but just... Awesome that you're advocating for something so strongly, uh, especially as an athlete who is very focused and in the NFL. And, you know, I know the grind of just trying to better yourself every single day physically and mentally and spiritually for that, for you to also have the mental uh, fortitude to to focus on something else like mental health. And, and uh, you know, I know you started a foundation. Yeah. That is uh, that is really awesome, man. yeah. Um,
0: it's been a journey for sure. And um, I've just been trying to use this diff as a, as a positive and, you know, bring some light to it.
1: Yeah. Before we get into the, uh, the mental health side, um, tell me what it was like going from App State, which is kind of a smaller, I feel like, D1 school, and yeah. then finding yourself into uh, the NFL.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, so me even landing at App State was a dream come true. I always tell people, like, I wanted to, you know, play SEC ball just like every other kid. You know, I was growing up and, you know, I went to play for South Carolina. That was my dream school. And I realized that, you know, when I went to a camp that South Carolina wasn't going to offer me. I just remember sitting in the car crying with my mom, like, just really sad because that was a dream that I had for so long to be able to play football at the highest level, uh, you know, at the college level. And it didn't happen. So I thought about what was next. What Was the next thing, the next best thing if I wasn't going to be able to play SEC or ACC ball? You know, what was next? And it happened to be a school called Appalachian State. I looked on the map. I found it. They were putting guys in the NFL. They were winning a lot of games. They were winning championships. I said, hey, you know, let me reach out to the school. I reached out to the recruiting coordinator, uh, Scott Sloan, and sent them my tape. And even then, they weren't really open as receptive, you know, to having me, uh, you know, be part of the class just yet. I was one of the last scholarship offers You know, was signing day and they offered me two days before signing day. And even then, my parents weren't really cool with it because they felt like I could have went to some other schools that, you know, had recruited me a little bit harder. I had Old Dominion, Elon. Uh, But I just knew that Appalachian State was a school for me. And going to Appalachian State was the best thing that ever happened to me, even though, you know, it was a a smaller school compared to, you know, the other bigger schools, uh, SEC and ACC. I think it prepared me most for life and, and also for the NFL, uh, you know, just being around the guys uh, in the locker room and the, and the, the standard that we had we, the standard was so high and that's how we were able to win so many games is just being able to have that high standard and, you know, getting into the NFL, coming from Appalachian state, I didn't really have the best senior season. I had the best junior season, but my senior season was, wasn't my best. And uh, so I went undrafted and, you know, you go from being, uh, you know, kind of the big duck in a pond to to just somebody that not many people care about. And You got to really earn every opportunity that you get. I can just remember OTAs trying to, you know, really scratch and claw for every opportunity. You know, a first round pick would mess up five, six times, but it's, you know, it's okay for that. But as soon as the undrafted guy like myself messed up one time, like, you know, my reps were cut in half and, and the opportunity <laughs> I had was, was yeah. you know, I lost all options. That's It was tough. Yeah, it was tough. You know, it's, I, I tell people all the time I have a lot of respect for undrafted guys, late round guys, because you really got to do more with less. You know, you have less opportunities. You have, you know, less time to learn and you got to learn fast and you got to learn the system fast and you got to really maximize your opportunity. So like I always say, I got a lot of respect for those guys and, and I really just uh, worked hard and. And seized my opportunity and I was able to stick on with the with the Jets for a few years and um, just learn my role and be able to contribute.
1: Were you did you do like the combine and stuff?
0: Yeah, no. So the crazy thing is, uh like I said, my senior, my junior year was great. But my senior year, I didn't have any interceptions. My junior year I had four interceptions. I remember going down to Bombrito. have you ever been down to uh, Pete Balmerito down in, in, in Florida? No, 94. I heard of him. Yeah, but I trained, I trained down there. And uh, after training for a couple of weeks, I'm down there with a bunch of the guys that, you know, going to the Kanban, Georgia guys, Ohio State guys that, you know, guys are really highly recruited. Uh, and I remember calling the Kanban because I didn't get my Kanban invite. And I'm like, you know, all the other guys I'm training with has this invite. So I'm like, you know, where's my invite? And, um, you know, I call the Kanban and they say, uh, yeah, we don't even have you on the backup list. So wow. like, maybe you want to show up to like one of the regional combines, and like I just remember like sitting there like heartbroken. I'm like a regional combine, like no, nah, I'm trying to get drafted. Y'all, do you have me on the backup list for the combine? Yeah. So, I was like a really like the third third option available, like not even one of the options available. You know, if somebody got hurt. You know, they would you know be able to invite another guy to the combine, yeah. but I wasn't even one of those guys. So. I re- the only really only good opportunity I had was the all-star game I was playing in, which was the NFL PA Bowl in L.A., and then my pro day. And then I just really
1: blew my pro day out the water. And um, that's What do they do? So pro-, pro day, is it similar to a combine?
0: It's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's just at your school. So it's the same exact yeah. format as a combine. A lot of guys nowadays don't even really test at the combine anymore. Uh, they just rather do it at their pro day just because – you know, it's an environment that they're more comfortable with compared to going up to Indianapolis where you don't really know too much or you don't even really know the, the atmosphere that well. So, I, you know, a lot of the guys are moving towards that now. So I was able to have that luxury in training and being able to show my skills at a place that I was very comfortable with.
1: What's your thoughts on, like, Pro Day Combine as far as actually measuring the true skill and uh, potential of a, a guy in the NFL?
0: Well, you got to understand. So it's a lot of people that can play ball, but will not never even have the opportunity to play in the NFL because it's all about checking boxes. Like if you don't meet a certain size and speed requirement, they're not even going to give you a second look. So what they're trying to do with these protein combines is really gauge your athleticism and really see, you know, they always try to make comparisons. They always try to see how your speed will match up because, you know, a small school guy like me, I could be dominating on film and on tape. But I could be going against lesser competition, and they're not able to really understand how it would match up against a a bigger competition unless they knew, you know, my speed and and my change of direction and how strong I was. You know, I could be dominating all the, you know, Davidson guys, but if I played against Alabama and I never really had the chance to play against Alabama, they would have to be able to tell which, you know, how athletic was I, and and that's the the purpose of a podium combo.
1: You know what I feel bad for is the guys who – they end up going to a small school. They end up blossoming, uh, but it's still not enough to get real looks to go to that main combine. But they happen to not be good test takers. They're not good in combine situations, but on the field, they're gamers. And I feel like if you crushed it at a school like Alabama, you're good. Like You, kinda, you could kind of not do that great in the combine, and you're still going to get you know, the good looks. But if you weren't at a school like Alabama and you aren't good at the combine, you're pretty much done.
0: Chris, man, you hit it right on the head. Like I had this conversation with Jed all the time about how there's guys that would just never have the opportunity. And if I had like a Florida State at the front of my name, you know, who knows, I probably would have been a third round pick. But that's not, you know, that's not the way it works sometimes. And A lot of these guys that are so athletic, uh, you know, that can really play ball, I feel bad for him because the game is is full of so many politics, and it works that way. You know that that whatever round you were in, if you're a first round pick, you that first round pick great is going to follow you for the rest of your career. Mm. You'll always be known as a first round pick, and you know the same thing as being undrafted. You always be known as the undrafted guy unless you you come out there and become a Pro Bowler or All Pro. Until you change that narrative, you're just another guy that they can just pass through the system and easily replace. Yeah. And, You know, that's that's why it matters what school you go to and and what you do at college. But I think you hit it right on the head. It's a lot of guys that may not even have or even get the opportunity just because they don't pass the certain metrics or go to the right school. I mean, that's that's true.
1: And and you mentioned politics, too, which is crazy, because we had on my podcast last week, we had uh, my boy uh, John Vellante. So he he's been in the UFC Well, he just retired, but he's in the UFC for like 11 years So he's a vet, but his goal was to be in the NFL. And he was a three-time college All-American at Hofstra University. His senior year – and he had like the best numbers on the team. Six guys from his graduating class went to the NFL, and he was kind of the star. But what happened is his senior year, a new coach came in. And the new coach in him butted heads bad. Like he kind of had problems. Like like he just was given issues, like not listening to him and whatever. And so when it came down to like pro day and stuff like that, that coach, when asked by these other coaches, I guess, and scouts, like, hey, what do you think of John Volante? He was basically like, nah, you don't want him. He doesn't listen well. So he was like – he was on like a couple practice teams for a little bit and he wasn't getting that – he wasn't getting a real look because of what this coach was saying about him. And he just gave up. And that's why he started fighting. Oh,
0: Chris, bro. That's that's so true. Like, I've seen that happen multiple times, not only in college, but also in the NFL. Like, there's been guys that I've played with, like I said, that they can play ball. Like, you look at the film, like, man, this guy's a baller. But, you know, next thing you know, the strength coach may have a conversation with the scouts and say, hey, like, you probably don't want this guy. Like, he's not a locker room guy. He doesn't really try hard and work out. That may be true, you know, but I don't know if that's the conversation that needs to come from you know, a strength coach instead of just the player having an opportunity to, to show what he can do. I mean, obviously he's played in the games and put that on film and every guy doesn't prepare the same way. So it's like sometimes a coach may not like the way you go about your business. So you might look at him wrong or you might, you know, not pay attention to the way he wants you to pay attention to meetings. And next thing you know, all of that goes back to the scouts. And now you don't even have an opportunity. You look at some of these guys that have record, you know, they're record setters at Appalachian State. You know, but they never even got—they never even got a chance to sniff the NFL. Yeah,
1: like
0: wow, like does that—you know—how does that really make sense to me? And and it, it had to be a little bit of both that—that that went into why they didn't get out. Yeah, bro, so.
1: I—I yeah. I don't know if you know this, but I live in South Carolina now, right? I so I'm from Long Island, New York. I just moved out to uh, Fort Mill, South Carolina, which is right on the border of Charlotte. Uh, yeah, yeah, about a year ago. So um, I'm out here now, but I got a mountain house in uh, Blowing Rock. So it's okay. right by, yeah. uh, right by Boone. Yeah, and uh, that stadium is awesome. Yeah. It's it's carved out into a the side of a mountain, right? Like, what was it like playing there?
0: It was crazy because you know the elevation is three thousand three hundred and thirty three feet. So you know, for a lot of guys that's coming up trying to play against us, it's hard to breathe. And even when you go home for you know for summer break and come back. Like you could feel the adjustment, yeah. uh, but, you know, it's beautiful. Uh, it's, it's probably one of the most beautiful places in the world. And just being able to, you know, be in that atmosphere and how crazy the fans go and, and how close knit, like just the town is, is a college town. There's nothing else in, in the town, yeah. Appalachian State.
1: Yeah. And
0: when football season comes around, it's usually it's the biggest thing out there. Uh, so it's, it's pretty cool playing in that stadium. It gets cold. Uh, it gets cold really, really early. Probably around November and all the way till like you know April, March. It's It's
1: crazy how cold it gets up there. I I was blown away by that because you know you're in North Carolina. You wouldn't think it's you know snowing a lot and getting as cold as it does. Um, But when you're up in those mountains, it does not matter. It's it's
0: not even. It gets cold, but the really bad part is the wind. The wind coming around those mountains is is horrible. And um, <laughs> I just remember, like, walking to class, man, like, you know, you have a couple inches of snow and they still don't cancel class. Chris, like, oh, like, Iggy, you can be walking through, climbing through snow. And I'm like, you have to be the class at 8 a.m. Like, good gracious. You know, yeah. what, do, what do we got to do to get a canceled class? That's man?
1: hysterical.
0: But, yeah, that's that's just well, the environment up at App State. Like, snow is just something that's expected. And it being cold is expected. And a lot of guys, you know, it's not – a lot of guys aren't cut out for it, you know, and yeah. they end up transferring for a year or two. But the guys that, you know, go up there and they enjoy the environment are the guys that have success because, you know, once you're up there, there's nothing else to do. But, you know, school and and football and there's some things, you know, extracurricular activities. But at the same time, it gives you an opportunity to really lock in on your goals.
1: Yeah. Tell me about what it was like. uh and and how you were able to, uh, eventually get your master's degree. And, uh, I know you're a political science major, which sounds kind of difficult. I took one political <laughs> science class in, uh, when I was getting my bachelor's and I was like, damn, this is hard. Uh, what made you, what made you, you know, start focusing on that and then also move on to get your master's degree?
0: Yeah. So I had an injury in 2017 and, um, It kind of really altered the way I thought about football because football was, you know, my first love. Like this was I put every ounce of blood and and sweat and tears into this. And this is really all I knew. But once I had that injury, I kind of thought about, man, like what is life going to look like for me? You know, when football is over with. And I started to think about it a little bit, even when I was playing at the college level, you know, because my senior year didn't go the way I wanted it to go. So I was already putting that in my head, like, hey, what could be next? And so I signed up for the Masters of Public Administration because I love to talk. I love politics. I love to network. I love you know, local government and being able to help people and be able to bring resources to communities. And when I got injured uh, my second year in the NFL, I was like,
1: Man. I'm sorry, but were you, always, were you always like that? Or was that something that when your, your friend passed away that really sparked it? Uh, like nah. your, your interest in, in being out and about talking and, and networking and all that? No,
0: nah, my, mom, my mom and my parents instilled that in me. Like they always wanted me to be a well-rounded individual. And, uh, you know, they I can even remember as a kid, you know, playing ball. And if I got to see on my court card, like my mom would make me sit out of practice and stuff like that. So I always had to be well-rounded. They always kept me in different activities and, and made me, you know, into the person that I am with networking and everything else that I do. But I really started to step into that purpose and role, you know, like you said, after my best friend died is when I really started to realize that, Hey, you know, there could be something else out there for me, you know, other opportunities. So once he died, you know, and then I had the injury, it was just really a, a culmination of really tough times uh, during those two months um, mm-hmm. because, you know, I had his funeral. I showed up to camp that same day of his funeral uh, a couple of weeks later, the first preseason game, I, I got injured, and then after that, I had to make a determination whether I was going to jump back into school or rehab up, you know, at the facility. And I made a decision that it would be better for me to go home and, and work towards this this goal of having this degree. So I went back home uh, for a year, and uh, you know, I was there that, that you know for the rest of the season and the off and got a lot of the credits done. And then I was able to go back that next off and actually finish the degree in twenty eighteen after my third season.
1: Wow. uh, Can you tell me a little bit about what happened with your friend and and what ultimately got him to eventually make the decision to commit suicide? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, mental health is tough, man. And, uh, you know, especially in the African-American community, it's just a tough thing to think about. It's a tough thing to get resources to, and, and it's tough for people to understand. And back in 2017, and really, you know, once you start to get into a depressed state in 2015, I can just think about the amount of resources that, that were known you know, to people like me. I didn't really know about anything that was out there. And, and what's crazy is that my mom has worked in this space for 20 plus years, and I still didn't know about many resources that were out there. So just looking at how things have changed so much um, to how it is now, I wish a lot of resources were available back then, but they weren't. So AJ, was uh, he had a traumatic event. And uh, that brought him into a a depressed state. And once he got into that depressed state, he really didn't know how to handle it. And I, and I didn't really know how to help him, to be honest. And I would say things as if you know he could just push through, uh, as he could just get over, like an athlete. You know, that, that's, that's the only thing that I was accustomed to do the attitude. Um, so we were both athletes trying to figure it out. You know, that that critical time uh, for 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 males is that low twenties where you're trying to figure life out. You know, college is starting to almost be over. Uh, you just left your parents' house. So so now you're realizing that you're on your own. And a lot of these, a lot of things that your parents were trying to get you to prepare for are really starting to happen.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So <clears throat> when all that was happening, he got into a depressed state and, you know, he would look for help. He would try different medicines. None of that would really work. Uh, and, you know, we would have him talking to a therapist that didn't really work for him.
1: Was uh, he playing sports and stuff still? Was he like, yeah, playing yeah,
0: college? He, he was playing sports at Fayetteville State, but he had just got done. Uh, so this was, you know, about a three-year process. Like, you know, so, you know, during that time he was playing sports and then he wasn't playing sports and then he was out in the real world. Uh, so it was it was about a three-year process where, you know, a traumatic event happened, you know, that led up to his death. So uh, it was just a point where we tried different things, the medicine, you know, the therapy and none of it really worked. And I think, you know, as far as on the therapy side, it really came from the point of not being able to have an open conversation with somebody that may have looked like you um, and, and may have, you know, knew some of, could relate to some of the things that you're going through. And what I mean by that is uh, we didn't really have as much access to African American uh, counselors or therapists or psychologists, you know, at that point in time. And, you know, there's different issues that happen in our life that may be different than you know, different issues that happen in your life.
1: Yeah. And,
0: you know, they could be separated by the sports we play, they could be separated by the, our demographics, they could be set separated by our socioeconomic classes. There's just a lot of different issues that face different people. And mm-hmm. um I think we never could find the right com- culmination of, of resources for him. And that led him to a point where he didn't feel that he could live uh passionate and happy and, and the person that he wanted to be and I could just see uh, depression started to deteriorate you know his mind and, and also you know his body he didn't want to leave the house anymore he didn't want to work out you know it was a lot of things that were happening because he was such a depressed state and it was just really eating him up and uh, I think we both got to the point where it was like man like we don't know what's next I don't know what else is out there was going back and forth in conversations with his mom and my mom, and they were trying to figure out different things. And uh, it just got to the point where he called me uh, right before I was down in Bomarito training, getting ready for my second season. And he gave me a call and he was like, man, how are you doing? I was like, I'm good. I just remember getting in the elevator. I was like, I'm good. You know, just working out and stuff. And um, he was like, man, how's workouts going? I was like, they're going good. I was like, how are you doing? So like, I'm doing, you know, doing a lot better. I'm good. And then he was like, "Man, I was just calling to check on you, make sure you know everything's good, and, you know everything's straight." And then the next morning, uh, my dad called my wife and my girlfriend at the time, and, and told her that AJ had just killed himself, and that mm. um, you know he had passed. And so we drove all the way back that night, uh, back up from Miami to to Winston Salem, and I spoke at his funeral. And even when I spoke about mental health uh, to the church congregation, it was full of African American people. And, um, you know, the pastor got up as soon as I got done speaking and pretty much denounced everything I said, and that we really needed to just pray and, and bring our burdens to the Lord and that was where a lot of my work started because I realized the stigma that was surrounding mental health in the African American community. It was you know, I could remember different things like when I was growing up, hey, like you know, just leave him alone. He's a little crazy or or he's the odd one out the bunch, like but nobody really discussed what was exactly wrong with that strange cousin. Uh, you know, that was that was always removed from a lot of the family obligations. But even then, like mental health doesn't look like just doesn't look strange like that all the time. It could look like me just having a regular conversation with you or, you know, somebody could be depressed. You may never know. Somebody could be dealing and having a tough day after losing a loved one. And you may never know they're struggling. And I think that's how mental health is, is changed so much is that you know, it's not in that one box that everybody used to put it on where everybody was just crazy for, you know, dealing with the mental health, you know, condition or illness or just talking about mental health. And I think that's where we are now is is how the landscape of mental health has changed so much. And I'm just happy to be a part of the conversation and be able to share AJ's story and share the fact that, hey, he didn't have the resources a couple of years ago, but look where we are now, you know, five years down the road and, and, the, the resources and the opportunities to get help um, would have definitely helped my best friend four years ago.
1: Tell me, tell me, like what after you gave that speech at, at his funeral, um, how how the pastor came up and kind of denounced the stuff you were saying. How how did he differ from you?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like giving scriptures. I was like trying to, you know, I'm really good at 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 you know bringing God and mixing God and mental health together. Like that's, I think that's something I'm most passionate about is God and mental health. And so it's not like I was denouncing either one. I was bringing them both together. I was saying prayer plus therapy, a little bit of both. And he kind of just removed the conversation of just mental health, kind of excluded it and just, you know, focused more on, you know, being able to have that conversation with God. And I get it. You know, I think a lot of these pastors aren't prepared to have that conversation. But if you, you know, if you're in church, you're starting to see a lot of these pastors beginning to want to have that conversation around mental health because they know the congregation is struggling. Yeah. We just came out of something that's going to be in the history books. Like COVID is going to be right in the center of the history books. Like that was a tough time for everybody. And I think these pastors are starting to realize that and they understand that they have to have that conversation and talk about yeah. it, talk about how to how to help their, you know, help people and be kind to people and, you know, get the resources and help that you need. Yeah. You can't avoid that conversation anymore and I think that's what the pastor was trying to do it wasn't that he just didn't have any respect for what I said it's just he didn't want to face that conversation he didn't want to have it he didn't want to even talk about it and yeah. after that service a lot of a lot of people were coming up to me and just whispering like hey man like you know, I'm struggling too mm-hmm. and I don't really know what to do and you know your message really touched me and, and I need I need help and I want to find help and so that's that's what really motivated me to, to do the work that I do
1: yeah, that's amazing. I, I It's funny. It, well, not funny, but it, it is crazy how much of a change there has been in church when it comes to suicide over the years. Um, yeah. I think, and this is this is me, you know, just drawing like a general thought on it. But, you know, I'm sure every church is different. But for the most part, for what I've seen, years ago, if someone committed suicide, it was like there was some, you know, wrong with that guy. And, you know, you know you're know, going to hell. And, you yeah, know, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's it, they just needed God. Now it really is a conversation where obviously prayer is always the most important thing, like praying, but you need those other resources. you know you don't just close it out. It's not just about prayer so that that change has been great to see um and because of people like you who who are advocating for mental health, not afraid to say it, especially athletes um who people look up to, um, they look as kind of like the alpha males in the room if they could admit that they have some weakness and vulnerability, um, then it will make other people, you know, feel like, you know what, it's okay to sometimes feel this way and, and not be afraid to go out and look for help.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. I think you hit on it just from the first part of uh, with church. Like I listen to Stephen Furtick a lot and he talks about, you know, at elevation. He talks about mental health more than any other pastor I've been listening to for a while. It's, it's something that he, tries to integrate in, in his in his talks every Sunday because he knows like he can see the pain on people's faces. Mm-hmm. And even when you talk about athletes and the way the whole athlete narrative is changing right now, athletes have the power compared to how it used to be a couple of years back when your coach would tell you like, hey, you better be out there in the field. And it's like, it's not like that anymore. It's, hey, like I'm, I'm struggling. I'm going to stand up for what I believe in and either you're going to get behind me or you know, I'm gonna blast you so bad that you're gonna get fired. And it it seems like, you know, with NIL and the power that these athletes have, like, you can see it. These athletes are getting paid big time money to play college ball. And, you know, it's just huge how the whole narrative is changing. Look at athletes like Naomi Osaka, um, you know, DeMar DeRozan, you know, it's a lot of people, Simone Biles, that are really standing up for mental health and helping change the narrative. And I think that's, you know the the stigma is a big part of it, and that's something that continuously has to the conversation has to continue to go and, and continue to happen because people need to hear it and people need to know um, that there are other people that you know in high regards that are dealing with the same things they are dealing with, and that's how you break down the stigma. That's how you eradicate the stigma.
1: What's it like in the NFL locker rooms uh, with mental health at this point? Are people are people more open? To talking about it like if someone's kind of you know dealing with some crap are people you feel like more open about it and you know uh open to conversation on it
0: yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's way more different than when I first got in the league when I first got in the league it was something like you really didn't even like really talk about you know I even remember certain situations in the Larko like dudes would try to tell me to go talk to somebody that was dealing with something um and and it wasn't even really a lot of people in the building that could help. And, and over the last few years, they've made sure that they have clinicians on staff in the building uh, to help us as athletes. But it's changed so much and being able to have that conversation with your teammates and it being accepted compared to back in the past, you know, that was something that you just really didn't discuss. Mm. And now, uh now that we have these full-time clinicians, I, I think, what we still need to continue to change is our coaches' mindset. I think they still have some of that old school mindset. So when some of the guys are dealing with some mental health stuff, they make it to where they, you know, they're so fearful and like they're, they, you know, it's hard for them to trust the guy and put the guy out there because they're like, hey, like this guy's going to, you know, make a mental error. Hey, this guy's going to give up a touchdown. This guy's not in a, you know, a stable state mentally. And that's not the case. The guy's just dealing with things that may not even pertain to football or sports. And he may be dealing with something back home and he may be dealing with something in his family, but they just all, they group it all into one. It's like, Oh, this guy, you know, he's not ready to play Sunday. Like yeah. that's not the same thing as you know me dealing with, uh, you know, something mentally. And I think that's where the conversation needs to have the players on the same narrative as far as accepting and having that conversation with each other. And even the clinicians, that's on staff, but I think these coaches are still behind in the way that they accept it and the way that they educate themselves because that's where it starts at. Like, if if you're seeing a lot of these guys that open up and say different things and now they receive punishment for it and lose playing time for it, like, that's a huge issue. And I think that's something that still needs to change.
1: Yeah, I think um, from the coach's perspective, they just don't want to hear excuses. Yeah, I mean, they just want you to go out there and do your job. They don't want to hear anything about, you know, reasons on why you're not getting the job done. Um, and I think because in the n f l you're on such a big team, there's so many athletes and just a small amount of coaches coaches they don't have the time to sit and get to know these players the way they probably should and and know kind of like what's going on in their life, you know, did they just get in a fight with their wife? you know is are they going right. through a divorce? you know something happened with one of their kids It's hard in m m a we are kind of lucky with that, like it's well, it depends on what gym you're in, but for me, I've always had you know, coaches that like I'm connecting with on a daily basis. We talk before every practice and they kind of get to know what's going on in my life. And there's times I'll go in and we're about to get this crazy workout in. And after talking to me, he's like, yeah, let's just take this one off. And I'm like, you sure? I was like, you good. No, I'm ready. I could do this. He's like, no, listen, let's let's chill out today. And I'm like, I love it. I'll listen. (laughs) Um, But I feel like in the NFL, that's hard to get, you know, someone to work with you like that.
0: Chris, man, like, that's so true, man. Like, I think we have, like you said, we have a lot of guys. So sometimes, and let's go back to the conversation I was having before with undrafted first round, you know, type symbol like that. How how much money are you paying the guy? Say, for example, Aaron Rodgers came out and said he was struggling mentally, you know, and he couldn't practice today. You know, that's a way different conversation than me coming to my coach and saying, hey, bro. Yeah. I can't oh,
1: yeah, 100%. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah.
0: thinking "Like, what do you mean you can't go? Like, boy, yeah. gonna go somewhere else then if that's the yeah. case. Yeah. You know? And I think that's that's the difference. Uh, you know, we're dealing with the big team. We're having, right. you know, 53 guys on the roster plus practice squad. And sometimes at 90, like, there's so many things that's going on. They rather just a guy that's very... Uh, one of my coaches always used to say that. He wants low-maintenance guys. Guys that... I don't want to hear you got to go to treatment. You got to do this. You got to warm up an hour before practice. You need to have five different meetings. He just want guys that can, you know, be able to always go. Don't really have many injury issues. Don't really need to meet too many times. Like he used to always say low maintenance guys. And I think that's like I was talking about that old school mindset with these coaches. They just want a lot of low maintenance guys. So when they see a player that has to deal with all these other issues, it's like, ah, uh, you know, would I rather deal with that or I'd rather just get a younger guy in here that could probably do somewhere close to what he can do? i rather just don't have
1: to deal with any of these issues. And, issue. and yeah.
0: I, think that's, I, I think that's where it is,
1: you know? Yeah. I think they're also – I think they're worried about getting taken advantage of. If – I'm going to say there's probably, a, there's probably people that would try to take advantage of that situation if a coach was very soft and understanding of everybody's issues – I don't know what percentage of players uh, would take take advantage of that, you know, and that would ruin it for the people that would are actually going through legit things and do need a little extra time and understanding of you know why they can't perform, you know, in a certain day. Um, so I don't know how how you get past that because as a coach, you can't have a team that takes advantage of you on the other side. So there has to be like a full tr- there has to be trust, like so, true trust. How do you do? How do you do that?
0: It definitely has to be true trust. But, I mean, I think after a while you can tell, like, you know, you can tell the difference between some guys that are bluffing and some guys that are really struggling. It's not like it's something you can see. But after a while, um, having those conversations when the coach, you know, they're, they're getting feedback a little bit from the from the therapist. So they kind of know where on the map are these guys, you know, mentally. Like, hey, is he ready to go? Is he not ready to go? Is he still dealing with some stuff? Is it, You know, so I don't think – it's something that you could easily just take advantage of. I think maybe once or twice, like if you want to pull it every now and then you could, but I mean, to be honest, like there's a lot of different jobs and corporations now that are giving mental health days. So I don't really know if that's taking advantage of it, but I think there's just, there needs to be more of that conversation. And once there's education on the coach's side too, um, and then education can match the, the clinicians, not, not as high. They don't need to be, necessarily have a degree in in psychology but you know a lot of these coaches are father figures and and leaders and you know leaders to other men and they need to be able to educate themselves about mental health and some of the good coaches I've had they know I mean they know when guys are having a tough day they know when guys are you know going through it because if you've been coaching for a while you've been coaching 15 plus years you probably had to deal with so many different personalities like all the guys that that are talented aren't you know, in, 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 good mental states, like, you know, Brandon Marshall, one of the best athletes, he, you know, has bipolar, you know, he's bipolar. So, you know, I'm sure all of these different coaches have dealt with different players that deal with different things. So yeah. most of the good coaches, they, they know about mental health. They educate themselves about mental health and they know that, how to have that conversation with their players and they know how to have that conversation about their life off the field. There's very few coaches that actually care about you off the field, but I feel like the the best coaches do, and that's how they get the best out of their
1: players. Mm-hmm. Are those mental health days that they're starting to have, is that like assigned days like a certain amount of times in during the year? Or is it when you feel like you need a mental health day, you get a legit mental health day for yourself?
0: I haven't seen that too much in the NFL, but I'm talking about other jobs. Oh, like, okay. I you, okay. I know you can do okay. other jobs. But yeah. as far as like the way it works in the NFL, uh, I've seen guys go have that conversation with the with the head coach and say, hey you know, like, I can't, I can't do it today. Like, I'm I'm really struggling mentally. And, you know, for a day or two, um, you know, that might be okay. But then once you start missing some weeks, now, you know, now now there's an issue. And I even seen that conversation go both ways. Like, I've seen that conversation, uh, you know, where the coaches are okay with it. And I've seen that conversation where a guy comes back and now he's demoted.
1: Mm.
0: You know, I've seen that conversation go both ways. So, that's what I mean when I say that these coaches have
1: to be yeah
0: a little bit more open to learning about mental health because I've seen guys go and miss like one or two days just to take a mental health day because they're dealing with a lot. they had definite family. They, you know, they're struggling themselves and they come back once they're good. And the coach is like, Hey, you know, you're, you're third string now. Hey, like yeah, I can't push you out there anymore. You know, it yeah, sucks. And it's and and that's something that it's not cool, you know?
1: Yeah. It doesn't even have to be something traumatic. There's days where it's like you're in the grind and there's just days that you need to, just to do you. You know, you need to like, you know, eat crappy food, lay on a couch, ca- like just sleep in, yeah, cra- yeah, sleep in yeah. as long as possible, watch yeah. Netflix or whatever you want to do, play video games. Just check out of, of life, you know, to give yourself a little break. And then that that, that after having a day like that, you end up feeling like lazy and crappy afterwards. Like I feel like a lot of times, and then it drives you and motivates you to go even harder that next day. Um, and I would never even think of it as a mental health day, but that's pretty much what it is.
0: It is. I mean, I take those in the off season. It's just like, you know, during the season, it's tough to really get those because the season is just so compact and everything's, you know, yeah. Out. But in the off season, I definitely take those days. I mean, you know how it is like going in the gym four days a week or like, Going and going through that workout and doing other things outside outside the gym to prepare for a season like that takes a mental toll on you and and really just this whole grind takes a toll on you and there's days where you like man I don't feel like it today and it's not that you don't feel like it from a standpoint of you can't you can't go and you don't feel like working it's the fact that hey like I think this rest and recovery mentally and physically will be better than me actually going out there and trying to... Yeah. And I think that's where the narrative has to change for us as athletes is knowing that, hey, like that old school mindset, you know, that college mindset of go, 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 go is not always the best thing for you. You know, we're getting older. We're not like 19-year-old athletes anymore that can just throw 500 pounds on the squat rack and just do it 10 times or then go out there and run 1040. Like, we can't do that anymore.
1: So sometimes, I never could do that. I never could do that. <laughs> I,
0: don't about, I don't know about 10 times. I can, I can do it a few. I can, I can 500 a couple of times. Um, and, then, and then have to go run after it. But like now it's like I wouldn't dare do that now. You know, I wouldn't do anything like that now. And it's like, you know, you got to change up your routine. And some days it may be good just to go sit in a sauna go get a massage or just turn off your phone and just sit in bed and watch one of your favorite TV shows that may be better than you going to push through Jed for the day. So I think that's where us as athletes have to really train our mind is the fact that like more is not, you know, less is more sometimes. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to go, go, go just to feel like we're doing something. And um, I think this favorite quote that I always, I forgot who said it, but the quote goes, don't always, uh, you know, confuse movement with progress. You know, just because you're doing a lot doesn't mean you're getting a lot done. I think Denzel Washington said it, but mm. um, you know, people think just because I'm working, I'm running, I'm lifting all these weights, I'm doing it every single day, like you could be breaking down your body more than you're actually helping it. So you just gotta think about how how do I make that progress? How do I, you know, move up? And and I think that's that's what we gotta do.
1: What what's your advice for um just like normal people, everyday people that maybe don't have the money or the resources and they're going through these tough times, Uh, what would your advice uh, be to them?
0: My advice to them would be find out what works for you. You know, there's a lot of cheaper resources out there. Like what works for you mentally is not gonna be what works for me mentally. Like you could do therapy, therapy may not work for me. Yoga may work for me, me walking outside, me going on, taking a walk, me going swimming. My brother likes to swim. That helps him mentally. Like there are so many different things that's out there for our self-care and we will never know what works for us unless we try it. So the first thing I would encourage a lot of people to do is try different things. The second thing that I would encourage people to do is be open um, to having self-care and being proactive about your mental health. You don't just as for physical health, you don't just go work out when all of a sudden you broke your leg. Like you go to the gym, you stay proactive on it. And that's the same thing, same way you have to treat your mental health. You have to be doing things proactively to help you instead of just being reactive. Like I'm feeling down today. let me go do something. You know, I think those are things that you should integrate into your practice every single day. That way, you know, when you get into a tough day or a tough mental state, you can bounce back pretty fast. And The next thing I would say is... Um, don't think that you have to do, you know, what your friends do. So all the things that, you know, you may do uh, may not be best for me. And I want people to know that just because, you know, that what may work for a different person. You don't have to force that on yourself. Like a lot of people are like, man, like I do therapy. You should do therapy. And I'm like, well, I don't really like therapy. But no, nah, but you should really do it like it's going to work for you. Like if you don't like it, just try something else. And, um, you know, it just really last. I guess the last thing I would recommend for people is is to give yourself grace. You know, you don't. There's there's a lot of tough days. Life is tough. Life is hard. And the more grace you give yourself and others, um, the more you're kind to others. The more you realize that others may be dealing with you know some tough times too. That's when. You know, we really make some good progress.
1: Mm. I feel like a lot of people get stuck comparing themselves to other people. You know, they see, they see people on social media. They're always in the grind. They're crushing it. You know, they're doing all these amazing things and they're at home and they're watching them like, Oh my God, how does this person do that? And it kind of just brings people into a hole. Uh, I, I for me, exercise is something I'd always recommend for people because I think after exercise you feel accomplished and you feel better. You know, all the hormones that gets uh, that get that gets secreted secreted when you work out is super beneficial. Um I like morning routines, you know, waking up and getting the day started right, yeah. you know, you know, journaling, music, reading the Bible. Um yeah. Yeah. Uh, a to do list. You know, like start the day with a to-do list. It doesn't have to be crazy and just get it done. And you're going to feel like, wow, I did something today. And, and, you know, and it does make you feel good. And when you don't get it done, it f- you feel like crap. So you kind of see <laughs> both sides of it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: There's certain things that like scientifically work. Like Working out, like works. Working out helps you mentally, you know, having, you know, being able to meditate helps you mentally. Being able to have some type of higher level of faith. You know, I don't force pe- faith on people. Uh, I love God. I love Jesus. Uh, but that's not, the, that's not something that I say, hey, you have to have that. But to be honest, you have to believe in something, whether it's God or whatever you want to believe in. It has to be a higher being. Because there's so much that you're going to deal with on this earth that if you don't believe in a higher power, you're not really going to understand it. It's going to eat you up mentally. So those are all things that work. Journaling works. You know, that's a CBT technique. Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, so that's that's another technique that's proven. You know, These are all different things that you're stating as as proven techniques as, to be able to improve your mental health. Mm. So I'm right in line with a lot of things you're talking about. I do a lot of things you're talking about. I'm sitting in my office. I got my Bible right here. <laughs> I got my journal right here. So I do a, a lot of things that you're talking about. And I love to do lists I, that works for me. Um, and, and and it's shown to be very effective. So all the things you're talking about are all the same things that I do. And I tell people, try to study and look at people that have had success. They do things that you don't have to reinvent the wheel all the time. Like if you are able to study, like say you were able to go around and study Michael Jordan, and see some of the things that he did in his daily routine or Kobe Bryant or LeBron James and see how they prepared mentally or how they started out their day. Uh, even like a guy, a CEO at a bank or something. If you looked at their day, their structure and the way they prepare, you could see a lot of similarities between all of those people and you could take those things and, and put them into practice in your own life. Mm-hmm. And some of those things that you're talking about uh, are probably some of the things that they do.
1: And you're you're big into yoga too, right? I saw on your Instagram.
0: Yeah, yeah, man. I'm huge into yoga, man. Like that's, that's big for me. Like I, I went to yoga this morning and it helps a lot. Like, it helps me mentally. I, I got a self-care routine. I think it works pretty well. Yoga is a huge part of it. And that's something that I want to get into. I want to open up a yoga studio down here. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah.
1: How often are you doing yoga?
0: Right now, I do it maybe once or twice a week. Uh, when I'm not really fully like football training, I'm doing it three or four times a week.
1: Gotcha. But, you
0: know, because I'm, you know, doing football workouts, Hot yoga isn't always going to be – it's going to take a uh, toll. It's it's, it's, it's it's a, a lot. Yeah, a that's
1: kind of what I stopped doing. I was doing hot yoga a few years ago a lot, and it was just draining me from my other workouts. But I love doing it. If it was the only thing I had to do in a day, I'm doing it because it, oh, it was yeah. amazing. And yeah. it's so hard. Uh, if you actually try to do whatever – what they're having you do in that – that session you try to do your best, you're going to like, like you're almost dying. And meanwhile, you got all these girls up front, like older, older women, and they're just crushing it. I'm like, chilling I can't keep up.
0: It. Yeah. Sometimes you know, you, you're in a class and you think about measuring yourself to others. And that's the whole point of yoga is not to measure yourself and to know that there are boundaries and to know that, you know, I may not just because I was able to do that position yesterday. doesn't mean I'm going to be able to do it today. And the same thing, you know, with real life, like just because I felt this way yesterday doesn't mean I am automatically feel this way today. Mm-hmm. And that's why yoga is so cool, man, because I could, I went in there today and we're doing like warrior three and I'm trying to balance. And, you know, my balance wasn't as as good as it was last week. And I'm like, man, maybe something's off and you can be in tune with your body and learn so much about yourself just going through yoga. And like I said, no day's the same, uh, mm-hmm. but I really do have a lot of appreciation for yoga. Have a lot of appreciation for the the girls that that, that are in the front that motivate me and, and the fact that they can do way more positions than I can. But, you know, it's all about being able to dominate our own space and being able to be better than we were yesterday.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm actually going to I'm going to yoga, I think, at 12 because I'm sore as hell today. I killed myself yesterday with I four workouts ended up happening yesterday for me. So I'm so dead and uh, I'm beat up, so I'm going to go to a yoga session and take my time in it. I'm not going to compare myself to anybody else, but I'll be there in a nice hot room stretching yeah. and getting loose. Uh, yeah. Tell me about your, uh, your foundation to, to kind of close up here. Um, I know you're doing some amazing things. Tell me a little bit about it and how people could uh, find it and help out as well.
0: Yeah, so you can find us at dreamtheimpossible.org. I've got the hoodie on.
1: That's um, a sick right hoodie. I like yeah, that. Yeah,
0: appreciate it. Yeah.
1: Was your was that your buddy's number thirty six or was that your number? That's,
0: that's my number. Um, that's me. Kind of like putting my arm over a kid and really, oh helped, okay, uh, you know, really helping them develop. I think that's that's what we're around best. We're an organization that's focused on eradicating the stigma around mental health and also uh, developing youth uh, mentally and physically. And I think that's you know that's been my whole life is being able to help youth and help them change their thought process, help them learn about how to be more effective in, in the things that they do. And a lot of student athletes, I always wonder when I was growing up, like what separated me from all the guys that were way more talented to me and, and could play ball better than I could. And, and I even looked at, I even studied some of the best players that I've played with, like a Jamal Adams, you know, and I'm like, man, how's this guy so good? And to point to it, I remember being in the locker room before a game and he's just looking at the mirror and he's just talking to himself and telling himself that he's going to be the best in the stadium that day. And he's going to be the best safety uh, in the world on that day. And that just made me think like a lot of our thoughts, you know, a lot of our actions start, you know, with what's up here and what mm. we see and, and what we think about ourselves. And that's what I want to change with our youth. That's what I want to change uh, when it comes to, you know, African-Americans and just people in general helping eradicate, uh, you know, the stigma around mental health is being able to help people understand that everything starts with a thought. You know, everything that you're going through, uh, you know, can, can start and end with a thought. And a lot of people, they may be struggling mentally. They may be depressed. They may be, you know, anxious and they get so raveled up into their thoughts. Like my dad, my dad's had the same job uh, for 25 years. And you know he got he got in a car accident. He hasn't been able to work in a few weeks, and he's like all nervous about losing his job. And he's a truck driver, which is like the most needed job in the world right now. And he's so wrapped up in the size of his thoughts, he's like, Man, I don't know if I'll be able to do it again. I don't know if I have a job when I come back. I'm like, pops, like, where is all this confidence that you had initially about the fact that you you're one of the best drivers in the world? It's like you're just all wrapped up in your thoughts right now. And he was like, you know what? I am (laughs) like, it's it's like, it's okay. And I think so many of us, we just go down that that, that deep path because we just, we're really just beating ourselves up mentally and nobody else is. It's just us in our own heads. And so that's what I want to change with our youth. And I do a lot of work with student athletes uh, to change that stigma. We've been doing a lot of work, which is helping, helping student athletes realize how talented they are, seize that talent. Like I talked about earlier and be able to be your best optimal self and, um, you know, just step into every piece of talent that you have and not have any downfalls because of, you know, any mental setbacks that could be along the way. So that's what we're about uh, right now. We're doing a lot of programs to develop youth, develop young men, uh, develop young athletes in this area in Charlotte, in the Charlotte community in the Winston Salem area, uh, football camps, mental health events, um, and just, Promoting and eradicating the stigma, man. That's what we are here doing. So, yeah, you can visit us at dreamthepossible.org. You can check us out. And, uh, you know, we got a couple of events coming up over the next few
1: weeks. I love it, man. It's it's amazing what you're doing. Um, listen, Doug, I appreciate you coming on the show. It was a pleasure, an honor. Um, you're a huge role model for all athletes out there. Um, so I really appreciate it.
0: Chris, appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for having me on the show. And of course you're doing a lot too, man. I just can't thank you enough for, for this podcast, and everything you're doing in the USC space, MMA. And, um, we, you know, we appreciate it and keep leading the way. All right,
1: guys, I hope you enjoyed that. I thought that was really great. Um, you know, I know what it's like to be inside that MMA locker room and how everybody's so alpha and people don't want to let their guard down and talk about mental health. But I think it's something that we really do need to be okay talking about and dealing with that stigma um, appropriately is super important. Um, it was interesting to hear what it was like inside of NFL locker room and how it's been changing over the years, and uh, what it's like, you know, for these coaches and how they have to deal with it, which is tough. You know, I I, I hear and understand both sides, um, so it's going to be an e- a constantly evolving issue that uh, we have to uh, figure out. Um, I also love that he gave some great advice uh, to anybody out there that is going through anything mental health wise, You know, just your ordinary person, uh, whether you have money or not, and some actionable items that you could focus on to help yourself uh, get through it as fast as possible. And just know that you're not alone. You are not alone. No matter who you see out there, uh, they look like they have it all together. They also deal with mental health issues at some point in time you know and so don't feel alone don't feel like you're you know by yourself there's plenty of people out there and don't be afraid to get help all right guys i really hope you enjoyed that conversation i'll be back next week with another great guest but until then i'm chris weidman and this is won't back down thanks for listening